Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 25 years. I'm a life coach, fantasy author, and engineer. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. Hi, I'm Jesse Tugney, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 10 years now. I'm currently a student at Montana State and learning more and more about how our world works. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, feature members of the type 1 community who are just like you, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 126 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today we're talking about experimentation, how to run experiments with your diabetes, and why you don't have to be afraid of trying something new. Before we get into it, we have the win, the fail, and the hack. Actually, we're doing two wins this week, so I have the first win and then Jesse will have the second. For mine, I just want to take a moment to recognize and celebrate that we've gotten to 126 episodes, and we have more on the way. We've never missed a single week. We're always looking for new topics and new ways to bring you value. It's just such a trip to think that when we started this podcast, Jessie was 16, still in high school, and now she's halfway through her first year of college. When we started, I was side hustling as a virtual assistant, and now my business has evolved and grown into coaching for both type 1 diabetics and for authors. We've come so far, and we don't often take time to just pause and look at how much we've grown. So that's what I did today. Jesse, what is your win? All right. So I just want to say I closed that my win is that I closed out this 2021 year pretty good with my blood sugars and the holiday season. And so basically what happened was for Christmas, our plans actually got canceled due to COVID around Washington a little bit, you know, grandparents and stuff like that. So I ended up doing the whole dinner, like Christmas Eve dinner. I know I was very proud of myself. And the only thing that had carbs in it was the flatbread for the chicken soup that I made. So I was very proud of myself and I actually didn't have any butchers above 150 for the entire day. And that even includes Thanksgiving. I'm very proud of myself. So yay. (laughs) That's awesome. I always love it when we have good blood sugars on holidays. So my tip for this time is actually taken from a book called The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. This one is interesting. It's to measure all of your progress backward against where you were when you started. So don't measure yourself against the ideal that you see in the future. When we try to measure against the ideal, we always fall short because there's always something that we could do better, we could do differently. We've like If our goal is to reach a certain weight or a certain income goal, if we don't reach that, then we're measuring against the ideal. And it just kind of kind of kills the vibe. But if we measure backward, we can always see the progress. So I did this kind of an exercise where I looked back 10 years ago. Where was I 10 years ago? And how far have I come since 18-year-old me? And I have come quite a ways. So looking backwards against where I started is so much more powerful than looking towards the goals that I have, but I haven't reached yet. And then making that like lack of having met the goal already make something, make it mean something bad about me. All right. Experimenting. 
Now, depending on who you ask, you'll get a bunch of different reactions when you tell someone that you're experimenting with things. When I talk about experimenting, I mean trying new things to find out what works for you, for your body, for your life, instead of like blindly relying on a doctor or even other health professionals to tell you what to do, especially if it's the same advice they give to all their other patients. So when you break it down, experimenting just means doing your science. So it starts as a question and then goes through a whole lot of steps to answer that question. Like moving a cell phone around looking for a signal. You try something, you check to see if it works. If it does, great. If it doesn't, you move on to the next thing. So it seems really straightforward, right? Well, unfortunately, as type 1 diabetics, we deal with so many variables that trying any kind of experiment can feel really daunting and really overwhelming. So we also try to tend not to give experiments enough time to see if they work out. So we give up without altering something that might affect the one thing we're trying to solve. So we just keep changing variables. Take weight loss, for example. In 2019, BusinessWire reported that the U.S. weight loss industry was worth over $72 billion. That's billion with a B. The only way for it to get that big is that one solution doesn't work for every single human on the planet. People come up with all sorts of different diets, different exercise regimens, and then they sell them as the end-all be-all solution because it worked for them. This is why we have people so religiously devoted to things like veganism, keto, paleo, or whatever other way of eating they, they tried and found worked. That's also why I encourage people to simply try low-carb or keto. Trying it doesn't mean you're married to it for the rest of your life. It just means running an experiment with that way of eating to find out if it works for your body, for your lifestyle, and your mindset. And all three of those matter, and I'll touch on those a little bit later. It's the same for diabetes care. While we all need insulin, the amount, the type, the timing, and all the other variables that go into controlling our blood sugars will differ based on our body chemistry, our genetics, our lifestyles, our willingness to make decisions that other people might find uncomfortable. Bunch of other reasons in there. So why are we afraid to experiment? Well, I already mentioned one reason, and that's that there are a lot of variables with diabetes. There's over 42 factors that affect our blood sugars, and any one of them could impact our blood sugars differently from day to day, even if we do everything the same. So that's the first barrier, the sheer magnitude of the variables that we're up against. Another reason is pre-existing beliefs about what we can or can't do as type 1 diabetics. The reason it took me until 2016 and weighing 225 pounds for me to start losing weight was because I had con been conditioned my whole life to believe that if I gave up carbohydrates, I would die. Now I have years of self-created proof from eating low carb and seeing really courageous medical professionals like Dr. Ken Berry from episode 111. They've come out in support of extremely low carb ways of eating like keto and carnivore. I know it's a fact that we can live on low or no carb meal plans. It just takes experimentation and willingness to go against the norms of what we've been raised to believe. It's really, really easy to find evidence that we can't do things. Most people pay attention to those things. And so those are the pieces of evidence that we collect the most. But there are also positive examples, proof that we can try something different and succeed at it. 
There's Eric Tozer, a type 1 marathoner who has run a marathon on every continent, including Antarctica. And I'm pretty sure he did all seven of those marathons in seven days. It's kind of insane. There's Tim Krause, type 1 diabetic founder of Mammoth Creameries, who he's also a runner, an ultra runner, and he's currently training to climb Mount Everest as a type 1 diabetic. You can listen to episode 89 for more about his journey. There's Sean Busby, a type 1 pro snowboarder who lives 63 miles north of the Arctic Circle, literally like hundreds of miles away from civilization, and if his insulin is not like warm, it will freeze. <laughs> it's ridiculous. My husband and I actually saw Sean speak at a Type 1 Nation JDRF event in 2019, and his thirst for adventure is just so inspiring. And then there's Dr. Jeremy Robertson, an Australian airline pilot and aviation medical examiner, proving that you can fly planes with Type 1 diabetes. If you look for them, you can find these examples all over the place. And the more we pay attention to the proof that we can do these things that seem impossible— the more we become accustomed to those possibilities. And that opens up the avenue for us to try new things too. Another reason we're afraid to experiment is that we're worried about what other people will say or think of us. We don't want to be judged for going against the tribe, so to speak, for going against the grain for, of what the rest of the diabetes community says or think we should, should or shouldn't do. Trying new things automatically turns us into outsiders because we're on a different path than the rest of our community. And that's terrifying to the brain because the brain wants safety and taking risks isn't really safety. We shouldn't ignore this reason. It's a powerful reason. Everything that we do or don't do is because how we want to feel. And if we don't want to feel like an outsider, we won't risk that type of rejection often at the expense of our health and our goals. It's honestly, it kind of reminds me of like high school in a certain way, because you're like trying to fit in, you're trying to do the best you can get the, get the newest clothes and try and seem really cool. But at the same time, you have to be yourself and you have to find out specifically with diabetes, what works for you and what really doesn't work for you. Like not everything is going to look good on somebody or fit right with them. And it's familiar and safe within the borders of our groups, so we shouldn't be surprised that it's uncomfortable to step outside of these boundaries. When you bring up the high school example, I'm just thinking of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how that's just everything you said is just it, it all applies to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so something that I've talked about when speaking to corporate groups about psychological safety is that we will actually risk our physical safety to avoid a negative emotion. We're more willing to get injured, sometimes permanently, to avoid what basically is just the discomfort of speaking up or questioning current processes. This is what happens when you have like a manager or a boss who doesn't really support his people very well. And so the employees feel like they need to cut corners, take risks, not speak up, because if they do, then they'll get into trouble. And if there's, there's certain times where when they don't speak up, it results in injury, often to them and sometimes to other people. It's the same with, our, with ourselves and our diabetes. We're willing to risk long-term complications, lifelong dissatisfaction with our lives because we don't want to feel rejected or feel like an outsider. Now, once we see that happening, once we get that awareness, then it's about making a choice if we want to continue like that or not. 
And if we don't, then it's time to run experiments. So how to run experiments with diabetes. First off, you have to acknowledge that you'll never be able to control all of the 42 factors when it comes to experimenting. So, and those 42 factors refer to all of the things that could possibly affect our blood sugars on a daily or even a minutely basis. If you consider that as a forlorn conclusion, then it'll be easier to accept any weird results or things that might be expected. That also means you might have to run experiments for longer than you would other, otherwise would because you need time to see if something is a pattern versus just the luck of something happening by an off chance. Remember, if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, then diabetes is insanity. This is okay. Knowing this ahead of time usually helps us diabetics not to go as crazy. So now decide what you're going to experiment with. This could be anything, your food, your insulin ratios, insulin type, exercise regimens, when you go to sleep, what you do before bed, when you get up, and the possibilities are literally endless. So let's use my 2020 elimination diet as an example. Episode 59 covered that in more depth, but here's kind of the breakdown of how it works with this. I really started that because I wanted to see if my food choices were affecting not just my weight loss, but also how I felt overall in my body. That was the thing to experiment with. Next was to decide exactly how I was going to run the experiment. I did a lot of research. I made meal plans. I planned it out on my calendar, talked to my husband about it, and I did everything I could ahead of time to set myself up for success during the experiment so that I didn't have to try to make those decisions in the moment. And I'm really glad I did it that way because I ended up having a caffeine withdrawal headache for nine days from cutting out the coffee. That was, <laughs> that was not fun. <laughs> I actually decided after those nine days that I was putting coffee back into it. And I was like, no shame. I'm, I'm just going to keep coffee in my diet. <laughs> There's no reason to cut it out if that's the price. So what I did is I decided to cut out a bunch of different food groups for three weeks to set a baseline. And then I slowly reintroduced foods to see how they affected me. And my baseline food was with, um, I think it was a like a spinach salad with chicken and like an olive oil, balsamic vinegar, or yeah, balsamic vinegar uh, dressing. There wasn't really much to it. It was really, really bland. But, you know, with the dressing, it tasted good. So admittedly, I did not run this experiment as long as I should have, probably because I had some impatience about getting back to eating normally, and I say normally with air quotes around it. But I did learn that nuts and nut flowers actually increase my inflammation and cause acne breakouts, which was which was weird. My body really does not like processed meats, including bacon, <laughs> which was sad. And then strawberries made me hold on to water weight. And then I also probably kind of confirmed that I'm permanently averse to erythritol as an artificial sweetener. And so like knowing all of this, I can be make better choices for myself in the future. Now I went into that experiment knowing what I wanted to test, why I wanted to test it. And I was willing to learn things that maybe be uncomfortable. I honestly thought I would have a bigger reaction to the nut flowers than I did. And I was not expecting the processed meat sensitivity. But because I went into it willing to uncover those uncomfortable truths, I had surprisingly little drama about giving up bacon and 
for the record, up until that point, I was the bacon lady at work. I would bring bacon to the office and microwave it and then tell people that they couldn't have any. <laughs> but that was only if they asked. I was like, no, you can't have it. It's mine. So I had like very little drama about giving that up. So that's the attitude that we should have about all the experiments we run. Willing to uncover things that we might have wanted to stay ignorant about before because knowing them lets us adjust what we're doing in a way that improves our lives in the long term instead of focusing on pleasure in the moment. But we can also remember that it's up to us whether or not we want to choose to make that change. I could have chosen to keep processed meats in my life if I liked my reason for it, but I didn't like my reason enough especially against the truth side uncovered. Literally that first taste of bacon was my, my mouth was not happy. It was it, my taste buds were just like, nope, none of that. <laughs> Sometimes we think we have to make a change if we identify something that we could change. Like we're obligated to do something differently, but that's never true. We're not obligated to make changes. We don't have to run experiments. And when we do run experiments, we don't have to change anything based on the results. When we're in that quote-unquote have to, like I have to space, it takes away all of our power. I chose to leave behind processed meats because I wanted to, not because I had to. So that's the last part. Decide what you want to do with the information and the data that you uncover from your experiments. It doesn't mean you have to do anything with it, but you have created the opportunity to make a choice for yourself based on what you want to do. Now, I said I was going to get back to why body, lifestyle, and mindset matters for this. So experimenting depends on your body because everyone's body is different. Low carb might work for me, but maybe keto doesn't. Maybe carnivore doesn't. But I won't know until I run experiments on those diets. Jessie's gone on and off vegetarian because she's in tune with how her body feels when she eats meat. Some people just can't stomach meat at all. Some people are actually allergic to meat. That is such a weird like medical thing to have, but it actually happens. And maybe it's just in your genes. Maybe it's just your preference. Who knows? The point is that there's never a one-size-fits-all method of management for your life. But you won't ever know what size actually fits you if you don't experiment. Experimenting depends on your lifestyle because of how you live your life is how you're going to make your decisions. Your lifestyle establishes the filters through which you view life. And if you have a certain lifestyle that you don't want to give up, then that will determine the kind of experiments you run. Maybe you have a rich dinner out life with your friends and family. If so, then you probably wouldn't want to run an experiment involving intermittent fasting when you don't eat in the evenings. Or maybe like me, you have figured out that eating in the evening makes you go high overnight, even if it's low carb. So maybe you don't want to have any experiments that have you eating in the evening. Design your experiments to work with your life instead of against it. And experimenting depends on your mindset. If you go into an experiment thinking that you're going to hate the results, that you don't even want to do it, like all that negativity, then you're not going to get a lot out of it. You probably won't even finish the experiment. The mindset with which you approach your experiments is more important than anything else because how you think about things determines how you experience them. There's actual research about how our perception of foods and exercise impacts the way our body responds to them. And the links to those are in the show notes. And if you want the full story on those, read the book, The Gap and the Gain from The Hack This Week, because that book blew my mind. So cool. 
Okay, so I have done many of experimenting through my life with diabetes and many other things. And I honestly just want to say this, if you're ever looking for a really good method on how to experiment with your like lifestyle, look at like a high school level science class and they teach you literally how to write a hypothesis, how to do anything and just kind of like just search it online. Like what what's the scientific method for high school students? And that's literally what you can go by and a really easy way to understand how to experiment and what to experiment with. Like that's just somewhere to go off of. But most of the time when I run experiments on diabetes, it's something that's very specific and a problem that I'm having. For example, finding a better low blood sugar fix or better spots for my myocytes. And this is where the science classes come in quite a bit is because it breaks down the problem and it breaks down why the solution is working. So the way I try to do it first is to identify the problem that I'm having and whether that... (laughs) And notice whether it's a specific time, if there's a pattern, if something is happening repeatedly on a day-to-day or a weekly basis that I'm noticing is not benefiting me in the long term. So to go back to the low snacks, I'm kind of going to use this as an example throughout talking about this. I noticed that my blood sugar was going too high, but over a very long period of time. So it was going, it wasn't going up fast enough that I wanted to. And it wasn't going up too high that my blood sugars wouldn't like level off at like a good, like plateau at a good level. And I was using granola bars, which makes sense now based on what I know. So I identified the problem I was having and what I wanted to solve. So I wanted faster rises in blood sugars, but not as drastic. So realizing it, it was now time to find something that worked better. And this is where trying different things comes in, but you have to try something new, but one thing at a time. You can't, like, when you're experimenting with something, you can't necessarily go and pick out five different low-carb snacks and try those all at once over, like, a day period or the next time you're low because you don't know how long or, like, if it's going to repeat itself. Like, those results, they might not repeat themselves And then you won't notice a pattern with each of those things. So I went from trying granola bars to trying juice instead for, and you have to set a certain amount of time that you're going to try this out. So for every time I went low for a solid month, I tried juice and I recorded my blood sugars, how long it took me to go up and what it did. So to be honest, this is where the most frustrating part comes in is trying those different things for only a set amount of time. Because most of the things that you try are probably not going to work the way you want them to. Like thinking with juices, oh yeah, it'll raise your blood sugar really quickly. And it didn't plateau. It plummets because it's literally a hit to your system. Anyways, (laughs) um, but trying those different things and figuring out what it does and seeing the patterns that affect your blood sugars. I actually had that when I was, um, when we were at Panther camp one year, I was using honey sticks as my low snack and I found out that it gave me like a very tiny boot, like bump to my blood sugar, but it went immediately back down. Yeah. And then I switched to trying Smarties and it brought it up a little bit and then it stayed level. So yeah. it didn't bring it back down. So that's why I switched to Smarties and I like have like a perpetual container of Smarties behind me now. Yeah. Perfect. This is a perfect example of like seeing something and trying it for a certain amount of time and then moving on. 
Like you can't get emotionally attached to something that you thought would work really well, but didn't. So what I found was fruit snacks for me specifically was it brought it up enough to where I felt comfortable with like eating them, popping them in my mouth, and then just getting back to what I was doing. And I knew eventually it would plateau at a level that I'm okay with, and it wouldn't go back directly down, which was the problem I was having with juice was that it would skyrocket, send me really high. And then about 20 minutes after that, I would plummet because of either a correction or it wouldn't stay in my system long enough for the sugars to actually work. So that's why I did fruit snacks. So that's where the easy part comes in. You find something that works and you stick with it, or at least until it doesn't work. And then you get to experiment all over again. As Colleen mentioned earlier, I've been vegetarian, low carb, and now I'm not really, I'm doing low carb, but I'm not going to limit myself to like just the certain foods because dining hall food is constantly changing and I can't control it. And anyways, so even though I've had diabetes for about 10 years, my every time my lifestyle changes, I have to find something else that works better with my diabetes or I have to readjust something to make it work. So my diabetes is happy. So here's a small list of stuff that I've had to do experiments on to make sure that I'm getting the best quality of life that I can with diabetes. So CGM patches, because the ones that come in the boxes actually tear your skin off, or at least with me, because my skin's kind of like a little sensitive, but they, they didn't work as well. And then they would either come off too fast and, or not at all. And they were really painful and it just didn't work. So we went on Amazon and I picked some out that really work a lot better. They're waterproof and they're more of like a uh, sports bandage than anything else, which I love. I've experimented with different low snacks, sugar-free coffee syrups. I can't have those anymore because they skyrocket my blood sugar. Coffee drinks like lattes, espressos, different types of creamers, milks, and like just different types of coffees in general to know what I like and what also works with my blood sugars. Wake up times, exercising times like during the day. So I... My blood sugars do better in the mid to late afternoons, about an hour after I'm at my lunch, about an hour before my dinner, or an hour after dinner, and then just keeping an eye on it. Because in the mornings, I've realized my blood sugars are a lot more sensitive. So I've, it really just like plummets my blood sugars if I do morning workouts. What time of day to eat? How much water to drink? What crystal light drinks work really well? What water flavorings? also um, just don't work or do work, how to get my blood sugars to stay up and plateau, how often I should be eating, what I should be eating, how big of proportions I like, what blood sugars should I be when my I put my sensors on to get the best readings, what types of dining hall foods with mess with me. Also go, if you're in college, go to your school's website because they, they do have the menu on there that they just don't tell you about most of the time. Anyways, um, how to sleep with my pump. Like I don't like mine attached to me is what I realized. And, you know, just stuff like that. And honestly, the list continues forever, but by no means should you feel overwhelmed when something goes wrong or you have to rechange something because just because, and as a side note, most of the times I usually have to experiment or change something 
when I change classes for college or change sports seasons and activity levels. And it just starts the cycle all over again, and that's totally fine. But once you find out what works, it's a really great feeling of accomplishment. So Jesse came up with a really long list of all these different experiments she's run, and I'm like, yeah, I I should do that too. (laughs) I think a couple of the big ones for 2022 for me are to really experiment with my food and my exercise because I want to lose about 30 pounds before the end of next year. And a couple of those are going to be trying to go on a hike every Saturday, including the really, really cold months. So the first hike that I'm supposed to go on is on January 1st. And this episode has released after January 1st, so maybe I'll report back on this. But currently the temperature forecast for January 1st is like negative (laughs) 5. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to get hardy this year. (laughs) Uh, But another one is to try cutting out artificial sweeteners because I'm okay with a certain type of artificial sweetener and I might have become a little bit like addicted to it. So cut it out. And then there's just a bunch of other different little things that I'm going to experiment with in the new year with uh, my weight loss. All right. The spotlight this week is on Jordan Michael Peterson. He's a type one diabetic singer and songwriter. Last year, he released an album with a song called Pinpricks. It's a thank you message to his parents for raising three kids with type 1 diabetes. You can find the link to the YouTube lyric video for Pinpricks in the show notes. All right. And our audience question is, what are some things you want to experiment with in your diabetes care this year? So what are things that you want to try? And let us know in the comments or let us know on Instagram in our comments for this episode or even in the show notes. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 126. That's the number 126. Apply to be a guest by visiting thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. Now, are you ready to feel better with type 1 diabetes without changing how you manage it? And that even goes for all of this experimentation stuff. You can feel better with your type 1 diabetes without experimenting. Now, I want to invite you, if you're interested, to go watch the free video on how to do just that at inspiredforward.com. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And then we have an Instagram for our podcast, so go ahead and feel free to check that out. The handle is at this is type one pod, and that's the number one. I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. And feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. And if you do reach out on Instagram, let us know you're a listener. We'd love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.